want to say good morning to you all. Certainly a blessed opportunity to be here in the household of the Lord amongst the saints who have put out time on their first day of the week to come and meet with the saints, to assemble with the saints, to be able to offer up our sacrifices unto the Lord. I want to say to our visitors, you are our honored guests. We are so delighted to have you with us, to be able to worship God with us. Uh, We encourage you, if you have any questions about what is taught here, what we do here, that you certainly ask them for Bible questions, do get Bible answers, what we believe here. Nevertheless, as we have a new month, certainly a new month that as the years or the months go by and and grow later in the year, we would uh, like to think that uh, the weather is going to take a turn for the better, but we know that it is going to get hot this week. Nevertheless, I encourage you all as you are struggling through this heat to just look at the heat down there in Phoenix throughout the whole course of the summer, and maybe that'll make you feel better because we only have to endure it for a little while. But uh, this month, we're going to be discussing a new topic, a new topic, and a new topic making reference to edification. Edification. I know many of us have on our mindset as we look around at the church in California, perhaps the church in Northern California, and even more specifically, the church here in Vacaville, We look around and we think, man, we can really use some evangelism. We can really use some growth in terms to gaining more souls for Christ. And I'm not negating that. I believe that is true. I believe it is necessary. And I believe that's a very important thing for us to do is to be able to proclaim the gospel in this locale and to be able to win more souls to Christ. But first, before we're too heavily vested in evangelism, we must first spend some time dealing with edification. We must spend some time dealing with edification. This topic is on my heart because certainly it's important that we gain souls to Christ, but we must ask ourselves, we're gaining souls to Christ for what cause? If I rephrase that, when we look out and we think about our dynamic, when we think about our disposition towards one another in Christ, when we think about how we can help and encourage one another, we must think about it as we go out, whether it's door knocking, whether it's an online campaign, whether it's a gospel meeting, whatever we do in terms of evangelism, we must think, well, what are we trying to encourage these individuals to be a part of? It's very important that we have this idea of edification at the forefront of our mind, because that, I believe, is a part of our evangelism. Certainly, we can go out and tell people about the gospel. Certainly, we can go house to house, door to door, or we can use other means to be able to proclaim the gospel to individuals in this locale. But what good is it if when they get here, they don't see a church that is edifying itself? This is very, very important. Individuals want a sense of belonging, it is true. Individuals in this world want a sense of purpose, that is also true. But it is very important because individuals want to be a part of a community and a part of a church that truly loves one another. That's truly vested in the building up of one another. When I think about building, I think about that man, Jesus Christ. Who would come into this world? Many of you are familiar with the context of 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, but let's go there really quickly. 
In the book of 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, looking a lot like what we just read in Ephesians, the second chapter, we'll be going there a little bit this morning. But in 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, you may remember as Paul trying to dispel any schism or any division, trying to get rid of any of that in Christ Jesus, he would encourage the church. Remember those contentions that are happening there in 1 Corinthians 3? How earlier in the chapter, according to verse 3, it says, You are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying, strife, and there's divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? And verse 4 says, For while one says, I'm of Paul, another would say, I'm of Apollos, are you yet carnal? Who then is Paul and who then is Apollos but ministers by whom ye have believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? Paul would say in verse 6, I've planted, Apollos certainly watered, but it's God that gives the increase. We need not to be thinking that we in and of ourselves can give any increase into the church because all of that is vested and comes from God the Father. But to the scripture that we are citing in this context, in verse 7 it says, So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God gives the increase. In verse 8, Now he that planteth and he that watereth, they're one. Paul's emphasizing unity here. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his labor. But look here in verse 9. In verse 9 and 10, when we think about this building, when we think about uh, being able to edify one another, we must first understand that we are a building. And you think about what Paul was saying here in verse 9. He says, we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. This is very important. When we understand what the church is, when we understand who we belong to being Christ Jesus, being subject to Christ Jesus, who is subject to God the Father, as 1 Corinthians 11 would say, you remember here that Paul would say, you are God's husbandry. Not only are you his husbandry, you are his building. So if we are his building, we must be vested in making sure we are built up properly and built up the right way. Not only built up properly and built up the right way, but we, may, we must make sure that maintenance is had to that very building. In verse 10 it says, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me. Paul speaking about his apostleship here in this context. He says, as a wise master builder. As a wise master builder, Paul talks about laying the foundation. About laying the foundation. And another builds thereon. But let every, let every man take heed how he builds thereupon. Now Paul, explaining that he is a wise master builder. Explaining that he has laid the foundation. Let every man take heed how he would build thereon. He says in verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid. Which is Jesus Christ. This looks an awful like. An awful lot like what he was saying, what we studied in our Bible study, making reference to there being another gospel. In 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter at verse 4, if anybody would believe in another Jesus or anybody would believe another spirit, you would even contextualize that with Galatians, the first chapter, verses 6 through 8, when he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed unto another gospel. In verse 7 of Galatians 1, he says, which is not another. So if there's not another gospel and there's not another Jesus and Paul here in this context of 1 Corinthians 3 verses 9 through 11 is saying the foundation 
that he laid as the widest master builder is Jesus Christ, we know that there only must be one foundation. Paul making reference to his preaching, not anything that he had to do in terms of establishing the church, but now in this context of 1 Corinthians 3, he's making reference to the teaching. But really quickly in this context, he calls that man in verse 11, Jesus Christ. He says, that is the foundation. Then he goes into how you on how you would go about laying on that foundation. I believe making reference to the teaching. But we're going to put a bookmark here really quickly. And we're going to go back to Ephesians, the second chapter. Going right back to Ephesians, the second chapter, which was read unto your hearing just a moment ago. In Ephesians, the second chapter. It's very important that we understand who we are in Christ Jesus. It says in Ephesians, the second chapter at verse 19. Therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints and with the household of God. This is important. He's talking to Gentiles in this context who were strangers and foreigners from the glorious covenants that God would give to the Jews. Earlier in the context of Ephesians 2, he's saying he's made of twain one new man as he's tore down the enmity that was betwixt Jew and Gentile. But look, as he's writing to this Gentile church, he's explaining the same thing he explains in 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. He says, you're fellow citizens with the saints in the household of God. In verse 20, it says, you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. I don't know how many of you all are architects or contractors. How many of you all are construction or in construction or builders but you understand when it comes to building when it comes to erecting an edifice or a building the foundation sure enough is important the foundation is so important that even the cornerstone within that foundation is the precedent takes precedence and takes preeminence in order to be able to lay that foundation Look here really quickly. It says, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. In whom also, or you also, are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Paul even making reference to how God is going to be living through us. This husbandry, this building, this edifice that belongs to God. But really quickly, we're going to spend some time on Christ Jesus. Who Jesus Christ, according to verse 20. Certainly the church... We're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, but Jesus Christ being the chief corner. Oh, I think about that book of Isaiah, the 28th chapter. And I think about Isaiah, the 28th chapter and what Isaiah would be prophesying in those days to Judah and Jerusalem. How he would say in the 28th chapter at about verse 16, if you go there really quickly with me, this promise of what's to come. You would see in Isaiah, the 28th chapter at about 16, it says, therefore... Thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Sion for a foundation, a stone. It's a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And he that believeth shall not make haste. This is certainly going to make reference to this Christ Jesus. As Ephesians, the second chapter at verse 20 says, you are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself being that chief cornerstone. Oh, don't you remember that this same stone was rejected? That's what Acts, the fourth chapter, would discuss Peter in his discourse. 
Don't you remember that the psalmist, the Holy Ghost through the psalmist's mouth in the 118th division of Psalm, specifically about verse 23, making reference to this marvelous work that the Lord is going to rot, making reference to verse 22, how this stone, which the builders would ultimately reject, this stone is made the head and the chief, making reference to Christ Jesus our belief in Christ Jesus. How do we know that? Well, according to Matthew, the 16th chapter, when you look at Jesus's discourse with his apostles, you might remember that conversation, that famous conversation that he had with Simon Peter. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, a famous scripture in the church of Christ. This is our scripture. This scripture doesn't belong to anybody else but members of the church. But you might remember in Matthew, the 16th chapter, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? I'm in Matthew 16 at verse 13. It says in verse 14, and they said, some say that you were John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or just one of the prophets. Jesus said, he said unto them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, and he said, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever shall loose, thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Looking specifically here at verse number 18. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. As Christ was going to come and establish this same Christ that was prophesied all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy, the 18th chapter, verses 15 through 18, making reference to that prophet, which is going to come amidst the brethren in Israel that all of the Israelites are going to have to hearken to a prophet like unto that man, Moses, the scriptures testifying of Christ Jesus pertaining to the suffering servant there in Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, how he was going to have to be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, according to verse 5. Understanding the manifold wisdom of God that Jesus Christ came into this world to fulfill the will of his father. He's speaking with his disciples in this context saying, I will build my church on this rock. What rock? Well, in the context, don't miss this. He's asking, who do the son or who do men say that I am? Some pontificating and saying, well, I suppose you're one of the prophets. Wait a minute. Let me stop you from all of the hypotheticals. Who do you all say that I am? Peter so boldly said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That confession first had to be believed. That confession had to first be believed. Don't miss this. Going back to Isaiah, the 28th chapter at verse 16. Whosoever shall believe on that tried, precious stone shall not make haste. In another context in the New Testament, it says shall not be ashamed. That simple belief on Jesus Christ will make one emboldened to understand that they can walk in this world without fear. Understanding that we belong to Christ. It was the confession that was made. Certainly it was the confession that was made, but that confession couldn't happen with first without the belief. Christ Jesus, understanding why he was sent into this world, understanding the work that he would have to do, understanding that 
how the builders rejected this stone according to 118th Psalm at verse 22. The builders would reject this. Those Jews in his day, many of them would not become his disciples. Many of them would look at Christ Jesus and they would conspire against him. They would lie on him. They would try to move with sedition to be able to undermine his good works because they understood he had many disciples. He understood people were following. The Jews understood people were following. They were so vested in this earthly kingdom that they were trying to undermine the very goodness that God had given to them. That was going to fulfill, according to Matthew, the fifth chapter at verse 17, all that was written in the law. This is so important. When we look at Christ Jesus, I'm getting to a point. We understand that first he was the chief cornerstone of the foundation. Understanding that Christ Jesus and teaching him is how you properly or how Paul properly was preaching the gospel. But I think about how the Jews should have been familiar and understanding of what this foundation was. Don't you remember the Jews as the temple was destroyed? You might go all the way back to the book of Ezra. Let's go back to the book of Ezra really quickly. The book of Ezra. In the context, this book of Ezra is one of the latter points in the Old Testament. This would be during a time of return of exile. Return of exile. This is a return from captivity, this Babylonian captivity that would happen as Judah was the last standing tribe that was trying to seek after the Lord. But even they, through some of their kings, would rot that wickedness. So after Judah alone, they would go into Babylonian captivity. The Jews of Jerusalem would go into Babylonian captivity for about 70 years in all of Israel for that matter. But nevertheless, they would go for about 70 years. And at the end of that 70 years, which was promised by God through his prophet Jeremiah, you might remember, you might remember as they were coming back, as they were coming back from captivity, they were led by individuals like Zerubbabel. If you go really quickly to Ezra, the third chapter, you may remember this really quickly. We're going to give a summation of what's transpiring here as Zerubbabel, according to Ezra, the third chapter at verse eight would go about to try to establish the foundation and rebuild the foundation of the temple that was destroyed about 70 years prior. He would go and try to establish that foundation. Don't you remember, even a little bit later in that context, when those individuals, people live beyond 70 years, right? Those individuals, look at here in Ezra, the third chapter, Specifically at verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set priests in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, the king of Israel, understanding that these are instruments of David. They sang together by course and praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. All the people shouted with a great shout. And when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house was laid. But many of the priests and the Levites of the chief of the fathers who were ancient men and had seen the first house, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, they wept with a loud voice. Many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout and the noise was heard afar off. This is so important. When you think about many of us that have been in a church a while 
When we think about the church of old, how we were bustling at the doors, how individuals were excited to come to the household of the Lord, how individuals were excited on the first day of the week to lay everything else aside and to prepare their worship. You might think about the old days. I don't know if anybody was around in the 60s or the 70s or even the 80s when it seems like the church was prominent, even in California. I think about these individuals who for 70 years, they were under the arm of the Babylonians. For 70 years, it's been time since they had seen the house of the Lord before it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and his men. We think about this foundation being relayed. What rejoicing, not even rejoicing, but just mourning or excuse me, weeping for joy rather because of this great feat. In the context of Ezra, as you would see, I'll let you know the story. Essentially, there were some adversaries there and I'm going to come right back to the adversarial point in Ezra 4 just momentarily. But ultimately, if you skip to Ezra, the sixth chapter. You would see after the back and forth between the individuals that were trying to conspire against the Jews, how they would write to King Artaxerxes. Ultimately, Artaxerxes would stop the building of the foundation or not just the foundation, but the temple of the Lord. But then in Ezra, the fifth chapter, you would see some prophets, some uh, what do you call return from exile and latter time prophets like Zechariah, according to uh, Ezra, the fifth chapter and Haggai and some of those prophets like Edo that you might be familiar with. These prophets would charge the people, say, keep building. We have to keep building. Don't listen to these men. This same Lord God who brought you out of Egypt, the same Lord God who has preserved you for all these years, the same Lord God who gave you those promises about how he was going to build his house and his foundation. Keep building. After even Artaxerxes, the king had told them to stop. King of the Persian Empire, stop building. No longer build. They would be able to, according to Darius, because Cyrus, the king of Persia, according to Ezra, the first chapter, verse one, Cyrus made that proclamation to be able to build the house of the Lord. The same proclamation that Darius, the Persian and uh, Ezra, the sixth chapter would go back and fact check to make sure that the Jews were and surely able to build this house. But let's look here really quickly. Spoiler alert, the house was able to be rebuilt. The temple of the Lord was able to be rebuilt and it would stand until about AD 70. That's another lesson for another time. The point being here is let's look at Ezra, the fourth chapter, Ezra, the fourth chapter. I'm getting somewhere. The lesson discussion today is about edification. We're discussing about an edified church, but we first have to take precedent from the old Testament. It says in Ezra, the fourth chapter at about verse one, Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple of the Lord God unto Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers. And they said unto them, let us build with you. These are adversaries saying, let us build with you. Said, for we seek your God as you do. And we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Ezar Haddon, king of Asher, which brought us up hither. But Zerubbabel... And Jeshua and the rest of the chief fathers of Israel said unto them, you have nothing to do with us to build a house unto our God, but we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel. And as King Cyrus, the king of Persia had commanded us, then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. They hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. 
all the days of Cyrus, the king of Persia, and even until the reign of Darius, the king of Persia. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, which is Artaxerxes, in the beginning of his reign, wrote unto him, or wrote they unto him, an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah, Judah and Jerusalem. In the days of Artaxerxes wrote Bishlam, Mithredeth, Tabiel, and the rest of their companions unto Artaxerxes, king of Persia. The writing of the letter was written in the Syrian tongue and interpreted in the Syrian tongue. Essentially, as you read this narrative, you would read that these people were essentially <laughs> telling on what was happening in Judah and Jerusalem pertaining to the house of God. So much so that King Artaxerxes would put a complete stop to this building. But if you focus here in the first couple of verses, the first six verses of Ezra, the fourth chapter, this is very important. It's a very important principle for us in the church. We're not going outward to figure out how we ought to build one another up. We're not looking at the denominations and figuring out how we ought to build the Lord's church up. But we look rather amongst ourselves and in the scriptures. You see Zerubbabel's mindset when these individuals, these adversaries were coming to him saying, let us build so we can sacrifice. What do you, you don't know the first thing about building. That's like me as a carpenter or me as an architect going to someone that manages a grocery store and asking, hey, how do I go about building this? We don't do that. We're not looking outward to be able to help build up the church. Why? Because of all the things that could come and seep in. Imagine this man Zerubbabel understanding the fashion in which the temple was built, understanding how Solomon built it in the first instance, they having a guide, they having a blueprint, if you will. Imagine us going out to denominations and asking them, how do we go about building up the Vacaville Church of Christ? How do we go about building up the Lord's church? Oh, they'll look at us and they'll say, well, you don't have any instruments. Oh, your, your, your praise is insufficient. Your sacrifice is doing in a, being done in an antiquated way, perhaps. When really we're looking at the authority and the scriptures. We're looking at the blueprint according to the perfect law of liberty. James, the first chapter at verse 25, to be able to derive how exactly we are able to build up the church. We don't go external to help build up that which is internal. You're going to get all kinds of teachings and Things and winds of doctrines that men have in their mind to do. Nevertheless, we understand that God has a specific design. I wanted to take this principle from Ezra, the fourth chapter, to show that we can stand our ground when it comes to doing that which is right in the sight of the Lord. We can stand our ground when it comes to how we build up the church. We can stand our ground when it comes to the true edification that we have as Christians. Let's go back to the New Testament. Let's put some more application on it. And let's draw this lesson to a close. Going right back there to 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. You might remember. As Paul would stop in verse or as we stopped in verse 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay and stubble. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. There's going to be a fiery trial. If any man's work abide, which he has built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet so by fire. Verse 16 is the verse we want to look at. 
Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him God shall destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. We understand that the temple of the Lord is no longer in any physical location. It is no longer in Jerusalem. But we, as the collective husbandry and building of God, all of us Christians who were baptized into Christ, collectively make up that building. This is so important because this is the same building that Christ would establish. Don't you think, don't you understand that Christ would know how to build a building? Don't you remember his words in Luke, the sixth chapter In Luke, the sixth chapter, specifically at verse 42, when he explains how to wisely build up a building, we see in Luke, the sixth chapter at verse 42, where Christ would say, excuse me, going a little bit deeper. Did that when I pulled the wrong scripture. Give me one moment. Take my time to search the Bible. Luke, the sixth chapter it is. I was just looking a little bit up in the context. Pardon me. It says in verse... 46, Luke 6, verse 46. Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house. He dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon the house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. Thinking about the church. How Christ said, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my house on a rock. That rock being the belief and the conviction that Peter would even confess there in Matthew, the 16th chapter. The belief in him that he is the son of God. Keep going. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell And the ruin of that house was great. If the great teacher would even say this, don't you understand that he would understand how to build the Lord's house? Why he was sent into this earth? That he was going to have to go about doing good? That he was going to have to fulfill the will of the Lord? That he's going to have to show all of these great works? I believe in Acts, the second chapter, verses 22 and 23, the same Peter who's preaching this Jesus Christ is explaining that this man was approved of various miracles and signs and wonders. These very works that would allow those disciples to believe on God the Father because they must believe that it was God the Father that sent the Son. He sent the Son to do good. But the greatest thing he did for us was in his death, how he was able to build and establish his kingdom and establish his church. Which church you are, which church you belong to, If we believe that he is the son of God, make no mistake about it. As he put on Calvary's cross, as he was mocked, he was scourged, as he was nailed to that piece of wood, as that crown of thorns was in his head, he was bleeding there mercilessly as he was trying to pull himself up to breathe. Think about all that happened during that time. 
The scriptures would explain that the sun would go black during midday as he's on that cross. And it would be black there for three hours. He was on the cross for six hours. Half of it was black as night. Not only that, think about the, as he gave up the ghost, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. The rocks rent in two. The graves of the dead saints would arise or would open. Think about all of this, that even this wicked centurion soldier that was seeing to his death would say, surely this is a righteous man. When we look at the scriptures, when we look at the words that Jesus Christ would speak, when we understand his life and we understand who he was, it should cause us to do nothing but glorify the Lord. But let's hasten to the point of the lesson. Think about Christ Jesus who was sent in this world to establish his church. We got to go right back to Ephesians, the second chapter. In Ephesians, the second chapter, in Ephesians, the second chapter, remember, we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ being the chief corner in verse 20. It says, in whom the building fitly framed together groweth and unto the holy temple of the Lord, in whom you are also built together for a habitation of God through the spirit. We're built together. I guess the proposition for this sermon would be this. Certainly the church was built by that man, Christ Jesus. But in order for us to continue To be the perfect man, in order for us to properly understand edification, we must continue to build on those words. Remember the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus being preeminent, being the chief corner. We as the church can continuously build up the church even today. All these brothers over here speaking a little bit loosely on this word. We got to go fact check that. We can continually build up the church even today. In order to confirm that proposition, we just have to go over two chapters. If you remember in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, Ephesians, the fourth chapter, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. But understand in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, certainly there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's one God, the father. There's one hope of your calling. There's all those ones. There's unity in the scripture. There's unity in Christ Jesus. But The proposition that we're looking to fulfill or looking to confirm is the fact that we can continue to build up the Lord's church even today. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, you might remember this man, Jesus Christ, at first ascended. He ascended first after he descended into the lower parts of this world. What did he have to do? He had to go about doing good. He had to go and be crucified. He had to go and be slain before all of the world. Why? So he could have his purchased possession. He could redeem us from our sins. But look a little bit deeper. In Ephesians 4, chapter verse 11, he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints and the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. When he established in the first century those apostles and prophets and those teachers, those that, that first century pertaining to the miraculous knowledge that they had from the Holy Ghost. That was for the edifying of the body. According to verse 12, it's for the work of the ministry. It's for the edifying of the body and it's for the perfecting of saints. But that's not where it stops. In verse 13, until we come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God unto a perfect man and unto the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ. There's more to do, church. Let's continue to read in verse 14 that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. There's still deception in the world. There's still different winds of doctrine in the world. We need to be edified. It's for the edifying of the body that the Lord God would give these gifts unto men in the context of what verse eight says. 
It's for the edifying of the body, but it wasn't just relegated to the first century. As we continue on, we can go back and look at what those prophets and those apostles wrote. We can look into the holy word of God and understand how we can continuously be built up. Certainly, as Acts the 20th chapter at verse 32 says, where Paul is saying, I commend you to the word of God or to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. You look a little bit deeper here in this context of Ephesians 4. I think the question we ask first is, before we get into evangelism, we need to understand what edification truly is. Do we understand what edification truly is? Why would we want to evangelize and bring people in if we don't understand what edification truly is? This isn't picking on anybody in particular, but this is just to emphasize and highlight this point. If we continue to read in Ephesians 4, certainly I'm drawing to a close. I know it's getting hot. But look here in verse 15. But we're speaking the truth in love. That we may grow up into all things, which is the head, even Christ. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. We're able to edify ourselves in love. You might remember 1 Corinthians 8 1, knowledge puffs up, but charity edifies. This is our work that we need to be doing today. We need to be properly loving one another. We not to be minding those things which are high. We need to be of a lowly estate, esteeming others better than ourselves. Do we have the proper disposition when we're talking to our brethren? In conversation, are we letting our brethren speak? Are we letting our brethren have their say and we properly refuting or uh, discussing in the proper way? Do we have the proper disposition with the saints? Are we doing good to all men according to Galatians 6.10 and to those specifically of the household of the faith? Can people see our lives and know of a surety we belong to Christ and what we say and what we do? But furthermore, church, are we edifying one another properly? Or do we wait until Wednesday when we see sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so? Then, okay, we see you Sunday. And we just do that as the world turns, as the world rotates until the grave comes. And do it over again and over again. When we're edifying ourselves in love, we're looking in the scriptures and we're Wanting to not just build up ourselves, but we're wanting to build up others. I remember what Galatians, the fifth chapter would say, completely tangential point. But Galatians, the fifth chapter, how Paul would be talking about how if you fulfill you, how you fulfill the law, the law and the prophets, you do it in loving one another. But in Galatians five, specifically. At verse 25, I believe it is. It's not Galatians five, twenty five. It's Galatians 5, going a little bit earlier. In verse 15, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed, you would not, that you would be consumed Or that you not be consumed of one another. We're not here to bite and devour one another. We're here to lift one another up. To edify one another. To edify each other in love. To confirm the proposition, I believe it is. Ephesians 4, chapter, verse 16. 
how we can continuously edify ourselves in love. That's how we can understand the word of God and how we can continue to build on what Christ Jesus did. Build on what the apostles and the prophets did. We can do it in the love that is sustained and the love that we share with one another according to God's word. According to 1 John the third chapter at verse 16, we need to lay our lives down for the brethren, even as Christ Jesus laid down his life for us. Why is that important? John 15, 13, greater love has no man than this, and a man be willing to give his life for his friends. Are we willing to give our life for our friends? Are we in a mindset that's improper when it comes to approaching other saints? Edification is very important. We'll be talking about edification all month. It's the edified church that even as it was built on that tried and precious stone of Jesus Christ, specifically his crucifixion, as we're looking at Christ Jesus who was crucified before the whole world, we're looking at unto him that was pierced, understanding that the builders rejected him. But we surely can accept him. Jesus Christ in his resurrected glory, according to Mark The 16th chapter of verse 16 would say, he that believeth, he that believeth. It's very, very important. Peter believed. That's why he's confessing there. Where does this belief come from? This is the system of faith. According to Romans 10, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God in verse 17. The system of faith, according to Romans 10 and verse 8, which is preached. Then it goes, Paul would then start to discuss the idea of believing. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What do we need to hear? We need to hear what Jesus Christ did for us. He died on Calvary's cruel rugged cross. He shed his blood for us. It's this blood that's a redeeming blood, according to Acts, the 20th chapter, at verse 28. He was able to purchase. It's this purchased possession. He purchased us with his own blood. This is the church of God which you belong to. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. So let's be vested in building this up continuously the way we do it is according to the word of god and in love this is very very important you hear this glorious gospel of jesus christ hear what he has done for you i'm now letting you know what it takes to be a christian what it takes to be a part of god's husbandry a part of god's building a part of the church that christ said he would build. you have to do it by hearing and after you heard that wonderful word of god in his glorious gospel you have to believe it with all your heart It's with the heart that you believe. But then there's confession that is made unto salvation. You hear, you come hearing, then you believe that word of God. You come repenting from your sins. According to Luke 13 and 3, the Messiah would say, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Peter would say it in Acts, the third chapter, verse 19, to repent and be converted. Peter would also say it in Acts, the second chapter, verse 38, to all those individuals who stopped him mid-sermon. Men and brethren, what must we do? He said, Noah, surely that the same Jesus Christ who you took and you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. He said, repent every last one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We have to believe that. We have to hear that glorious message. We have to come repenting, changing our ways, no longer walking after the will of men, no longer being even tossed to and fro by the Slight of men and by various winds of doctrine, but believing that one gospel, believing that one Jesus Christ, believing it was he that died on Calvary's cross for us. Hear it. We have to believe it. Come 
repenting of our sins. We come confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is very important. When we think about Philip, a lot of times we hasten over to Philip and the, uh, the evangelist when he was dealing with the Ethiopian eunuch. But remember what Philip was doing in uh, Acts, the eighth chapter, verses around 12, 13, and 14. Yes, he was evangelizing, but he was getting people to believe. And as they believed, they were baptized. Baptized is essential. Baptized is 100% necessary. Not 99, not 9. It is necessary for salvation. That's what the Bible would say in 1 Peter 3, verse 20 and 21. Even so, the light figure, now baptism does also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but it's an answer of a good conscience towards God. You must be baptized. That's why Peter told those individuals in Acts 2, what must we do? He wasn't saying it on his own volition. He wasn't saying it because he was bored. He was saying it because he was an inspired man. Repent every last one of you and be baptized. You cannot find any other way to become a Christian or become a part of God's husbandry. You can't do it by a mourner's bench. You can't do it by asking Jesus into your heart. You can't do it by a, uh, the sinner's prayer. You can't do it by sprinkling. But it's the full immersion into the watery grave of baptism after you have heard the word and believed. Baptized into his one body, according to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Baptized into that one body. And according to Ephesians 1, verse 22 and 23, Christ is the head of that body. And that body is the church. So if there's one body, there must be one church. Well, let's look into the scriptures about what that one church is. Romans 16, verse 16, it says, Salute you one another with the holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. It's the church that belongs to Christ. Why? Because God ordained it to be so. It's not a church that belongs to Paul or Peter or any other person you can find in scripture, but it belongs to Christ Jesus. You need to be baptized. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Baptized by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. In baptism, we have all of our sins remitted. That is the gospel message. That is what we need to do in order to become Christians. But once we're in Christ, let's be focused on growing. Let's be focused on edifying each other and ourselves. And let's do it in love. That's the gospel message. I believe the, I believe the uh, invitational song is God is calling the prodigal. Now's the time to come as we together stand and sing the song of the Savior's invitation.